This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Trescott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak. This is episode 179 with Isha Herbert Davis. To skip this intro where I talk and talk and talk things over, you know how it's done. Go to somewhere around the 9.45 minute mark. 179, my God, we are getting up there, aren't we? Someone, agree with me, 179 episodes. When I really think through that process, it just astounds me. What that means is 179 hours speaking to guests, not to mention, I don't even want to do the math in terms of editing. I've had this brought up to me about being someone that's an empath and how certain empaths, or maybe this is just the understanding of an empath, is there are people that feel things very deeply, very sensitive to the experiences of others, and it ends up burdening them. It's weight on their shoulders and it can drain their energy, zap their spirit, and yet they're still sensitive about what the person is going through. But in that exchange, the experience that they're hearing about can hurt them. And I don't relate to that. Now, I don't know if this makes me a monster or just a different type of person. What I end up feeling listening to the stories that I listen to and having the emotions that I have is I feel very connected And that makes me feel very alive. So I wonder about my listeners. Do you take in these stories and feel like, God, the weight of it. Oh, this was heavy. These are some heavy, heavy, heavy conversations. Because I know in my own life, I've heard people say, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. This is heavy. This is deep. I don't know if I can do this again. Oh my God, what's happening? I'm saying so much. We're going there. Oh my God, this is a relief. I don't do this with anyone. Oh my God, we're doing this. I can't do this again for another few months. And it's just like, oh my God, it's a lot. By the way, did you just hear that crashing sound? I swear to you, sometimes I feel like New York or the world is so on point in these episodes, it's like even when a guest brings up something alarming, you'll hear suddenly, out of nowhere, the sirens. If I was super spiritual, I would think the world was dropping hints and clues, and just outside my window was a soundtrack for Thank You Heartbreak. Anyway, back to those who feel like things might be too much, too heavy, a lot, a lot. I can imagine that you wouldn't necessarily want to return to conversations like that every week, twice a week. But then if you're like me, and maybe my listeners are, it's not that it's a burden. The sensitivity that's being exchanged might wake you up to your life. And in being touched by something and being moved by something and being emotional about something, that reminds you that you're alive. When I'm feeling numb, when I'm feeling disconnected, I'm the type of person that wants to put on something like Oprah. I did it on Sunday, Super Soul Sunday I was listening to this weekend because I was feeling detached and I wanted something. I was looking for something that would make me tear up, that would just naturally and instantly make me emotional. I was thinking, God, a lot of people, if they were feeling kind of depressed, They wouldn't reach for something that made them emotional. Often we reach for something that we can escape into, we can get lost, we can forget. And yet when I'm feeling detached or depressed or maybe I'm like on the decline, I go towards something that makes me feel. When I'm feeling numb, it's the lack of feeling, the feeling that I'm disconnected from somewhere, maybe some purpose, some meaning in my life. And so for me, maybe for you, the trick is to reach for something that reminds you 
of what it is to live. And part of that is that there are going to be emotions. There's emotions in our life. So that's the trick for me. I know when I listened back to this episode and I was editing it, I was crying during it. And that doesn't bother me. I think that's the point. The tears don't bother me. I cannot stress this enough. I feel so fortunate that as a host, I'm in a position to receive, be on the receiving end of someone sharing secrets or moments of shame or moments that get locked away that were at times too painful to discuss or they felt like burdens for people. To be on the receiving end of that makes me feel alive makes me feel so thankful and so proud of the choices that I'm making. The choice really being to connect. As the world is reopening, I find myself kind of going back to my old ways, the old groove. It's almost like when everyone zigs, I zag. So people were shutting down and I was opening up. People were disconnected and I was wanting to connect. People were inside and oh my God, I was on the outside being reckless. When everyone zigs, I zag. And now that the world is coming back too, I find myself, oh, well, I could sit on my couch and watch a show or just feeling not as called to even be in the world. Maybe, maybe not, you're feeling that way too. That what does it mean for life to return to quote unquote normal? And I have loved what I've embodied over the last months. And a promise I hope I can keep to myself is that while I realize that going forward, I won't have maybe the same freedom or I can't be as wild and crazy and up all night and doing all these things because I feel like the whole world was taking a break or on summer break and I have to quote unquote be responsible now. I just hope that I can still bring the joy that I was able to access. The attention, the focus on when people aren't around, when you don't have access to as many people, you are responsible for creating moments in your life. I was so aware of that during my quarantine. So it's like even when I was washing the dishes, I was really washing the dishes. I was like, I gotta make a moment out of this. Nothing else is around to give me that quote unquote moment. And I don't wanna let that go. I really don't wanna circle back to how I was pre-quarantine. I hope that there's a blend before and after. And I know that that's on me. It's so crazy about how we can talk or I'm talking about these things as if it's difficult to do. Why is it difficult to take the behavior, the way that you're behaving, the way that you're approaching life, the way that you're appreciating life, why is it difficult to bring that forward into the days ahead? It's a choice. And yet, when I talk about it, it's almost like, oh, I hope, I hope, because I'd be powerless somehow. I think hope can be so passive. And I think the hope comes from knowing that I haven't always acted in the ways I wanted to act in the past. So you lose confidence in yourself. You lose trust in yourself to make the necessary pivots. One of the most empowering feelings would be to know that you can make the difference in your own life. You really can wake up in the morning and choose to have it be a different way because you go about it in a different way. I know that it is difficult to form new habits, to approach your life in a different way, to drive down a different street, and yet you just have to drive down a different street. Anyways, I'm rambling. Thank you for listening to Thank You Heartbreak. I am happy that my guests and I are able to provide this for you. And I've been getting feedback that the fact that there's positivity tied into heartbreak is just such a breath of fresh air. To think that that's almost a rebellious take on heartbreak. To say, no, this is going to be positive. This is going to be a breakthrough. I'm going to break upward from this. When everyone zigs, we zag. When people get crushed and negative and bitter, all of us listeners, all of us here, we will be the ones that zag and do it differently and celebrate the experience for what it gave to our life and what it turns us into. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. 
Well, wonderful. Thank you, Chelsea, for having me. Uh, my name is Isha Herbert Davis, and I'm the co-founder of Events by Ashe, and we are a full-service travel agency, and we plan life-changing and unique Caribbean experiences. So that, that's my professional <laughs> introduction. Sounds dreamy. I, mean, I want to I ask you a question off of that. So you know, when you go to a party and the question is, what do you do? Usually that's the opening line. And I remember just feeling like that was the most daunting question originally. What is a question that you wish people started with? If you could have anyone ask you anything, what would you want that to be in the beginning? Oh my goodness. That is a great question. I don't know if this really applies, but one of the questions I love coming across like in group icebreakers and stuff is tell me something that I wouldn't expect looking at you. I love that question. And I think that would be fun. Like someone getting to know you. Tell me something I wouldn't think just looking at you. And it's always like, huh, okay. (laughs) What I like about that question is the person could answer and the person hearing the answer could be like, no, I totally expected that about you. Right? (laughs) About what we think people perceive about us. It's true. A double whammy. That's exciting. Yep, absolutely. It could be a total mind game. Yeah. What did you struggle with ever in your life where you're like, I wish people saw this in me, or I don't think I'm presenting myself Mm -hmm. in this way around people because maybe I don't feel comfortable yet, but I know Mm -hmm. I'm this way and I want the world to know that. I think one of the things that people have told me this, you know, when people share their anxieties or if they have uh, depression or suffer from loneliness or, you know, any of those kind of dark areas, I don't show that to people very readily. There's not a lot of people who know that about me that, you know, I do get anxious because everyone knows me as the calm person. Like Mm -hmm. I'm the one who, when things are kind of going haywire, you know that you can kind of turn to Isha and be like, okay, she's calm. Okay. We can all relax. You know, we can all be calm. So I think that's probably one of the things that a lot of people don't know about me. Yes, I do get anxious moments or I get moments when, you know, I've had depression throughout my life and had to deal with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's probably one of the things that people probably don't know about me or wish they knew about me, or maybe it's something that I wish I kind of presented a little bit more. Do Mm -hmm. you think that a reason to act calm when you're anxious, is it like more shame-based or is it more like wanting to be a people pleaser? Neither, actually. I think that just comes from within. I'm just naturally a very calm person. And with event planning, I mean, I've done it for, oh gosh, Now I got to count over 20 years, you know, I've done event planning for a long time. And in doing that, you know, things happen, you know, you're planning an event for humans and humans are unpredictable. So, you know, things are just going to happen. And I think having caught so many balls in the air, you know, like juggle so many balls in the air at each event and be like, oh, this is happening. Okay, no problem. You know, we got it. We're calm. I think that's just my personality. I'm just a really calm, even keel kind of person. So I don't think it was any of those scenarios that you said, Chelsea, which is interesting. Well, what I like about it is like you really emphasize that you're calm, but you're saying that you are an anxious person. People just don't see it. At least that's what I was understanding from it. No, I wouldn't say I'm an anxious person. I think I do have times when I do have anxiety, right? I don't think I'm an anxious person. I wouldn't describe myself that way. Um, And I apologize if that's what I said, but... um, I misinterpret things all the time, I realize now. (laughs) This is on me, not you. I make assumptions. Everyone can find out from listening to me. Chelsea makes assumptions. I love when people shoot me down because I'll tell you this, what I've realized from doing so many interviews Mm. is I'll listen back, you know, when I'm editing and people are really agreeable with me. They really Mm. agree with me. I don't know if that's a natural thing. Like, you know, it's a guest wanting to agree with the interviewer feeling they have to, but I really like when people are like, no, Chelsea, that's that's right. (laughs) Okay. Well, good. So yeah. 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 And I really think that plays into it. I think you hit the nail right on the head, Chelsea. I think, you know, you're interviewing someone and, and, you know, people are like, well, I want to do good. You know, I want to do a good interview. So, okay, let's be more agreeable. And yeah, even that's probably not exactly what I meant. Yeah. You know, kind of agree with that. Yeah. I think you hit the nail right on the head with that one. (laughs) You know, one could think that that's what someone would want out of podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Look at all these people that agree with me, but you know, the bravado really doesn't do anything. You don't want to, you don't want a bunch of minions. You don't want to look like I hand selected people that were going to agree with me. 
you know? Exactly. And your listeners who are, you know, listening and following you, I think they want to hear the disagreement as well, right? They want to hear the different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. I uh, went on some of my first dates. Well, I want to, I want to preface it even dates. I was going to say app dates, but I always say that I never date. So really like a date. And uh, these guys will listen to my podcast. I mean, it's so uh, incredible. I mean, wow. Really? Yes. Yeah. It's shocking. And this one guy, you know, he actually had listened to the last episode the whole way through. He really appreciated it. He thought, you know, I showed some toughness with what she was saying. Mm-hmm. It's like I couldn't get over how we needed a male perspective here. That was interesting to me. So like not even about someone being too agreeable. It was like, God, where's the guy in this? Yeah, that is interesting. Cause I listened to the last episode too. And I mean, uh, you know, didn't even occur to me to think that way, but good on him to put that out there for you, you know, like bring them on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, having been through uh, that experience, you know, with my husband, I don't know many men who talk about it, you know, um, talk about that type of loss. And it wasn't until um, we went through that experience and my husband was sharing because, of course, you know, his coworkers were asking and friends were asking and stuff. And it wasn't until he was sharing that other guys were actually telling him, well, yeah, dude, went through that with my wife or I went through that with my girlfriend or, you know, it wasn't until that happened to him that others were opening up to mm-hmm. him about that, too. So it, very interesting that he brought that up. From that episode that you're talking about with Mary Cole, you know, mm-hmm. she even said that her husband didn't want to touch, you know, the researcher. He didn't want mm-hmm. to know. He wanted to like live in this moment of kind of being in denial, trying to appreciate right. before something. Right. And that was a very different reaction. You know, some mm-hmm. people might think it's a man that's going to get up and take charge and protect the woman from it. And in that story, it was very different. And then really mm-hmm. quickly, the episode that came out today was with a man that works with other men, really about opening them up emotionally. And he was talking about how a lot of men, you know, they only open up and feel safe talking about their emotions with the one woman in their life. And what men really need is a brotherhood. So the moment that your husband was actually saying what's up, these other men felt capable finally of relating. Yeah. That, that never would have happened if someone hadn't first said something perhaps mm-hmm. shocking and brave. Absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. Cause I mean, it, it was just amazing, honestly, when, you know, every, every time he kind of got off the phone with the guy, you know, or one of his friends or whatever. And he was like, Oh my God, did you know? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really I had no idea you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, that, that's really interesting. I'm going to listen to that episode too, by the way. <laughs> I really appreciated that one. And kind of circling back to the beginning about like the things that people might not expect about us after he would get off the phone and, and you being surprised. Okay. So you know how they say that you're dating someone, then you live with them and you see this other mm-hmm. side or the first year of marriage, you find something out. What was something that you discovered about your husband that took you aback for the better or worse? Hmm. That's an interesting question. So my husband and I were long distance for um, pretty much all of our dating relationship before we got engaged. Um, So I got to start there. (laughs) First of all, I lived in Toronto. I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. I was born and raised there. And uh, at that point, uh, my husband was living in New York, in uh, upstate New York. And uh, we were long distance for two years. And from when we started dating, even um, long distance, we were like, okay, at the two-year mark, we got to make a decision. Somebody has to move because <laughs> we're not going to be long distance forever. So whether you live in Toronto or I come to live in New York, if that's where he was based because he moved for his job, somebody has to move. So, you know, went through the whole dating thing. We were long distance for two years, as I said. Um, and then at the two-year mark, it was kind of like, okay. So what are we going to do? Let's and, keep our uh, promise. Yeah. Right. Let's keep our promise. You know, it is the two year mark and we know we want to be together. So what's it going to be? You know, um, at that point I was ready to leave Toronto. You know, I was kind of like, oh, I've had a, enough of just the city. It's, it's just a really crazy city. It's a beautiful city, mind you, but I lived there pretty much all my life and I was ready for something new. So we decided, yeah, okay, I'll move to um, New York. And in the process of readying everything to move to New York, he got relocated to Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Not so a difference. 
Not to- exactly. Exactly. So here's how the conversation went, Chelsea. I was at work. He called me at work. Hey, babe. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How's your day? Good. Okay. So I have some good news and some bad news. Which one do you want? I'm forever the optimist. So I'm like, okay, give me the good news. He's like, you don't have to move to New York. Cause I didn't really want to move to New York. I wanted to move, but I just didn't really want to move to New York. He's like, you don't have to move to New York. I said, oh, you're we're breaking up. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm like, what's the, this one's going through my head. I'm like, what is he trying to tell me? What in the world? So then he's like, the bad news is, you know, I'm getting relocated to Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'm like, where? I'm a Canadian, okay? So I don't have a firm grasp on all of the areas in the U.S. at this you're like, time. And you're like, wait a I'm second. Like, I wanted to stay in the U.S. It's like it is in the U.S. <laughs> So I'm there Googling Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm like, oh, it's in the South. Oh, oh, it's warmer. Great. I was like, oh, no snow. That's perfect. Great. Okay, sure. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, well, I don't know anything about Raleigh, but it's warmer. That's in the right direction, isn't it? He's like, it's like really small and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, let's talk about it later. You know, I had a meeting I was going to or whatever. Anyway, so we ended up moving in together. Both of us relocated to Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, we initially said, okay, we're going to give this six months because it's different not living together and then joining lives and personalities and actually being in each other's space. You know, I have to stop you then. We'll give what six months? Living together. Oh, wow. So were you thinking after six months, if we're not living together in a great way, we'll reevaluate the relationship and just yeah. move Or, yeah. oh, wow. You guys are so yeah. practical. I love this. It seems like you do not let yourself get sidetracked by mm. how much time you've put into a relationship, what is expected at a certain point. I love no. it. No, we we didn't have any of that. Both Tarek and I were very practical people. Mm. (laughs) We're very practical people. So we said, okay, we're going to move together six months and we'll reevaluate at six months. I'm not anticipating that anything was going to be crazy, you know, or or we were going to have to reevaluate the entire relationship. We figured that everything was going to be okay, but we did say, hey, six months, we make a decision. We stay together, get engaged. That was important too. There was a timeline on that, get engaged and, you know, get married shortly thereafter because there really wasn't anything else to evaluate past living together. We both knew we loved each other. Mm. Um, We both had similar goals in life of what we wanted to do. We wanted to have a family, you know, and, and all of that was clicking. You know what I mean? And at that point, six months was like, okay, can we live together at six months? And one of the things that I learned about him, or I kind of knew about him, but it just became more apparent was how thoughtful he was. Oh, God forbid. I know. I Chelsea. Oh my gosh. So for better. better, And I'll give you a for worse one too. Okay. So um, just to balance it out, because he has a lot of great qualities, but there's some things it's just like, oh boy, okay, I'm going to have to live with this, you know? (laughs) But, you know, was how thoughtful he was. That was really one of the things that became really even more apparent in Mm -hmm. the six month time frame that, you know, we kind of put on the relationship at that point. And, I realized how messy he was. Right. <laughs> I'm a bit of a neat freak. So, and not only messy, but just disorganized. And it just doesn't bother him when things are all over the place, you know? Unfazed by the camera. Yeah, it just doesn't bother him that, you know, and then he's looking for stuff. That's the part that gets me. It's disorganization and then you're looking for it and you can't find it because you didn't organize it in the first place. That's the part that gets me. It's like everyone in that's a married couple. You know, my mom <laughs> growing up, it's like she was always looking for her iced tea. Always. <laughs> and it's just like, who's going to pour the iced tea over her head at a certain point? Right. So I always saw that growing up, yeah. There you go. So those were the two things that I was kind of like, okay, this is great. But this part, okay, we're we're just going to have to live with that. So that was a long winded way to answer your question. (laughs) I'll say about the thoughtful part is Mm. that in long distance relationships, I've been in them for over a decade. Mm -hmm. And the other people that I know that have done them is that Sometimes we can get, and of course, different personalities change mm-hmm. everything. You guys were very mm-hmm. practical. There's a lot of long distance, dreamy, unrealistic lovers, right? <laughs> also very codependent. And so the thoughtfulness is very present when you're apart. But yes. then when you're together, it's not there because you're together. 
And a lot of couples suffer at that point because they say, where did the thoughtfulness go? Or was the thoughtfulness only there because I was a companion to your loneliness? Ah, oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. You got Mm -hmm. something that a lot of us don't get. Wow. Okay, so take me through the process. Committed to the six-month mark, and then what was next? So at six months, um, it was a very practical conversation. We're sitting on the couch watching TV, and it's like, oh, it's six months. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. I think we're good. Am I okay? Yeah, yeah. And we're like, okay, cool. <laughs> we're, we're good to move forward. So we both knew the next step was one of the things I really wanted to happen because, of course, I wanted to be married, wanted to start a family, um, was for us to get engaged, you know, at or around the six month mark. If we were good, we weren't killing each other by the time six months were up, you know, we were both still good with the relationship, it was important for me to make it quote unquote official, Mm -hmm. you know, let's get engaged and, you know, start making plans to get married because there wasn't anything else for both of us to be unsure about at that point, you know? So yeah, that did happen. We did get engaged. He threw me off a little bit by, um, we were looking at rings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And one night we were getting ready to go to dinner and he was like, we're going to go somewhere nice. So dress up. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm thinking, oh, maybe he's going to propose, you know? Right. Right. And uh, he was in his office and he's like, Isha, come here for a sec. So I go in the office and on his screen is like the ugliest engagement ring I have ever seen in my life. Not you at all. Oh my gosh, not at all. And he was like, well, what do you think? And he's like smiling like, oh, this is, I know you're going to love this. How endearing. And I'm like, no, that's not it. He's like, but you said, and I'm like, no, I didn't say that. You know, no, I told you, no, first of all, no diamonds. I'm not a big diamonds oh, person. You wow. know, I, he I was looking at diamonds. Stone. They were chocolate diamonds. Oh, wow. I've never heard of that. It was a very very gaudy ring and I'm a very simple person. (laughs) So it was just all wrong. So anyway, I was disappointed because of course I thought, yeah, okay, he's going to propose tonight. And okay. Anyway, we went out to dinner. I I was still preoccupied in my head about the whole ring and oh my gosh, I can't believe you got it wrong or whatever. But dinner was lovely. You know, it was this really nice restaurant we went to and he was saying something. I wasn't even paying attention to tell you how badly I was thrown off Chelsea. I was still thinking about the stupid ring. And uh, I think he said something like, well, let's see how much more special this can get, you know, and he gets down on one knee and, you know, and he proposes and I'm just, like oh my god and the ring was perfect so anyway oh wait, wait, wait. <laughs> he was playing with you <laughs> he was totally playing with me the ring was perfect it is oh it was god. exactly love what i asked for yeah I yeah <laughs> because Thank though you. i've never been ready to marry any of the guys i've been with i will mm. admit that there have been times where i maybe pulled up some bridal outfits maybe it was you know in a magazine or on the internet uh-huh. and i'm like so which one would i wear uh, and when they get it wrong, it's almost over for me. How is it really? No, I mean, not really, but it's kind of like, it does make you question. Like, who do you think I am? Oh my gosh. That was me in my head the entire yeah. dinner, right? I'm just yeah. like, oh my gosh, I mean, did I miscommunicate something? Like, does he think he's married? I do. Exactly. He doesn't know me. Oh my gosh. I was totally in my head the, the whole time. And, you know, as I said, I wasn't even paying attention to what he was saying, which is it's terrible to say, but it's true. I, I wasn't even paying attention because I was in my head about the whole mm-hmm. ring thing. But the ring that he did get was perfect. It was wonderful. It was a great proposal and it was amazing. It, it was just amazing. So uh, we were engaged and uh, we got married two to three months later. Very small wedding, nothing fancy. We got married, had breakfast, and went to the beach. It was the best day ever. Wow. Um, yeah, it was amazing. So we did do everything that we said that we were going to do at that point in our relationship. It was just the living together piece that we had to figure out, you know? Do you ever recall or bring to mind that moment, that engagement when maybe things are tough? Is that a moment that you draw from? Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a big law of attraction person. You know, I'm confronted with obstacles or even when I have an anxious moment or, you know, I'm feeling down about something. Those perfect, perfect for me moments that we had where there was just so much joy. Yeah. 
I definitely draw on those. Like I, I have a picture of our wedding day on my vision board and I look at that and it just brings me back to that joyous time that it was just unbelievable. I like that. I've never, I've never thought about that question before. Mm, that was a great question. It just because it's something that I think for many relationships, that's the goal. That's almost when you know that you're making your way around the bend and it's always mm. like, who is that person going to be? Mm-hmm. And be feeling at your peak in that moment. Maybe in relationships, it's like, what's not happening for us and where do we need to get to instead mm-hmm. of looking back and saying and finding reassurance in where we've been. Yeah, well put. I could not have said that better myself. Agreed, agreed. So then you guys wanted to have a family. So that was a main goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was um, one of our goals. I mean, along the way, we wanted a house because we were living in a three-bedroom apartment at that time. So we we did want to get a house, which we did. So we got our house in 2013, I believe, was when we got our house. Shortly thereafter, we knew we wanted to start a family. So um, we became pregnant not long after we got our house. And it just seemed like everything was just lining up, Mm -hmm. you know, everything was just going so well. I I was working full time in human resources at that point. I started that in 2012. So that enabled us to, you know, the additional income, we got our house going and all that stuff. Um, The event planning business was a side hustle at that time, but things were going well. Things were going well. My job was demanding, but I was coping, you know, like, like everybody else. You're like, okay. It's demanding, but you know what? It is what it is right now. There are parts of it that I like and, you know, just keep your nose to the grindstone and keep going. You know, the side business was a real bright spot for me at that point, you know, and and serving our clients. And at that point, we had kind of carved out our niche in specialty Caribbean travel. So that was fun. You know, our clients loved it. And that was a real bright spot for me in my life. and, And our relationship was going well and I became pregnant. And I had a great pregnancy. I didn't have morning sickness. I was really, really happy. Like, just so... You like how it felt? I did. I did. I enjoyed being pregnant. I wasn't overly tired. Like, even that pregnancy was kind of... I don't know. I was just on this high all the time. I was just happy and happy. And I didn't have any aches. Like, I didn't have any back aches or leg aches or any... Are we sure you're real? I know. I know. (laughs) Trust me, because, you know, I was working full time at that point. And people were like, oh, how are you doing? Even down in my last trimester, people were like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm good. I think what I had fears about was just after the baby came. It was kind of like, are we really ready to be parents? You know, am I going to be a good mom? I, I had fears about that as any parents do, I'm sure. Are we going to be able to take care of this baby, this helpless child, you know, we are going to be responsible for? I I definitely had fears about that. I'm glad that people ask themselves that. I I never look over and think, oh, that couple is asking themselves that. And yet it's a Mm. huge responsibility. Like if you don't wake up for a day, your baby could die. Exactly. Wow. Chelsea, it's real, right? Yeah. It, it is so real. And those were things that I had fears about. But outside of that, I had a perfect pregnancy. There were no issues at all. And, you know, coming down to the last trimester, I mean, were we physically ready? No. I mean, our baby's room wasn't ready. I mean, it was, I would joke with people at work about it. I'd be like, yeah, we don't have a crib yet. You know, (laughs) we don't have this. We don't have that. And, you know, people at work were so generous. They had a baby shower for me there. And everyone was just so genuinely happy for us and so excited. Um, We didn't find out the gender of our baby at that time. um, And we didn't do it for our second pregnancy either. And we wanted to be surprised. We were like, you know what? We'll be okay if we don't know. Whatever boy, girl will be happy as long as him or her are healthy and, you know, and and we get through delivery, everything safely and everything's fine, you know? Mm. So yeah, we were good. Fast forward to Christmas. So around Christmas that year, so this was 2014, I had one more month to go because I was due January the 25th, 2015, I believe. So I was off work. Um, not for the baby, but it was like, I think how Christmas fell, I was off for a few days or whatever from work that time because I was planning to work right up until I delivered. And um, my aunt came to come visit 
And uh, we had a great visit with her. It was so much fun. She was like, I'm so excited for you guys. And she helped me with some baby stuff, you know, before she left, because she left on Christmas Day, if I remember correctly, either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And she went back to Toronto. But we had a really cute, uh, nice little visit with her. And it was a surprise. I didn't know she was coming. My husband surprised me and coordinated the whole thing with her. So it was... That's so thoughtful. Again. (laughs) Exactly. See, there you go. (laughs) He knew that... um, you know, once the baby came, you know, we wouldn't be able to travel or, you know, kind of do anything like that. So he's arranged for her to come because we don't have any family in this area, really, yeah. in Raleigh-Durham area. Um, we have a lot of really, really great friends who are amazing and they just support us so, so, so amazingly well. Um, but as far as blood relatives, we don't have any in this area, really. So um, she came, had a great visit with her and uh, she left. And the next day I was really tired, Mm. you know, we also had, oh gosh, we had some uh, friends of Tarek's who came to visit and brought their two kids as well. So we we had a full house. Now that I remember it, I'm just like, oh my gosh, we had a full house and they all left Christmas Eve. And I remember Christmas day, I was tired. Tarek was being his thoughtful self. You know, he was like, do you need anything? I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'm just going to put my feet up and, you know, just rest or whatever. And, um, it was probably around noon and I think he went to go get lunch or something. I don't remember what it was. It must not have been Christmas Day. It must have been the day after Christmas. And uh, I was like, hmm, you know, I just felt like something was up. Really? I did. Uh, I was sitting in a recliner, you know, like just in my big old belly, <laughs> just right in front of me, you know, and I was laying there and I was rubbing my belly and I was like, you know, something's up. And, um, I thought, okay, is the baby moving, like kicking, anything? And I lay there for a little bit and I was like, hmm, nothing's happening. Okay. But they always say, um, go drink some orange juice or, you know, something with sugar hmm. and then wait a little bit longer, you know, lay on your side, wait a little bit longer and see if there's any movement. So I did that and I went and I lay down and nothing was happening. So I was like, hmm. Okay, so by that time, Tarek wasn't back yet. He was on his way home. So I called him. I'm like, babe, I don't want you to get, you know, crazy, but I'm not feeling any movement from the baby. Um, He's like, okay, well, I'm on my way home. I said, okay. And um, planner that I am, I started packing because I I hadn't packed a baby bag or anything, you know, because it was still a month out. And the doctor was like, oh, um, your baby has to start to come down at the last visit because I was going every week at that point, you know, so I hadn't even started planning a baby bag or going to the hospital or nothing like that. So you live in the moment. I live in the moment. For the most part, I do. At least that pregnancy, I definitely did. So yeah, I just started packing. I'm like, okay, well, if we go to the hospital and, and you know, I need to deliver, then I need to have this, I need to have that. So, you know, I'm packing and he gets there and, and we go to the hospital and we drive in. It was just so surreal. You know, when I play it back in my mind now, mm-hmm. it feels like it was a movie. It really does. I don't feel like I was physically there. I feel like I was so much in my head and so anxious about everything that, you know, I was thinking was happening. Were you thinking, I'm just going to have to deliver early? Or was that the opposite in you? I thought a few things. Because I mean, at that point, realistically, even in my head, there are only two scenarios, right? One is the baby is okay, but, you know, probably in a little bit of distress and I'm going to deliver early. Mm. And the other one was, okay, possibly my baby has died. Those were the two thoughts that were in my head because that's really what everything that you read yeah, and everything that I was reading at the time, those were the two conclusions really at that time. There weren't any other possible conclusions. I'm so naive to think a baby could die a month before. That's what happened to us. That's exactly what happened to us. So they triaged us. You know, at this point, everything is still surreal, as I said. And of course, the first thing that they do when they bring you in is to check for the baby's heartbeat. And there was no heartbeat. There was no heartbeat. Of course, oh my gosh, at that point when they broke the news to us, I mean, I was just distressed. I was just completely, the floor was just completely dragged out from under me. And I was just a mess. I was an emotional mess, you know? Um, But then what you don't read about (laughs) in the books is if this does happen to you and, you know, your baby does die in the womb, you still have to deliver the baby. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You have to go through a delivery? 
you have to go through labor and delivery. Oh my God, knowing. Yeah, knowing that your baby has already died. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. It's serious stuff, honestly. That part, I was kind of prepared for everything else, even though, you know, emotionally I was gut-wrenched. But that part where the doctor and the nurses, you know, of course, they all came in, oh my gosh, we are so sorry that you lost your baby, you know, and and they went through the whole spiel. And then they were like, however, you still have to deliver the baby. I was like, what? Yeah. Like both my husband and I, we were in disbelief. And um, there were like a couple of options, you know, because they have to tell us what our options are. Um, You can do a natural vaginal delivery or we can do a C-section. We recommend a vaginal delivery, especially if you're planning to have kids. Um, We'll make you as comfortable as possible. You'll get an epidural. You know, you'll get all that stuff. We will have to induce contractions. Like they were going through everything. You know what I mean? Like they were going through everything. And at that point, they said, oh, I know you have a big decision to make. So they gave us all the information. If you have any questions, a doctor on call is, I think her name was Dr. Mercer, and she was amazing. I'll be back, you know, but you guys need to decide what you're going to do. No rush, but you do need to decide, you know. So my husband and I talked it through and made a decision that we didn't even think we would ever have to make, Mm -hmm. you know. It was just so surreal. So we decided to go through with the, you know, normal um, vaginal delivery at that point. Because of course, at some point, even though this was a total moment of loss, at some point we knew that we were going to want to have kids again. We knew that it might take a while, but we knew that we would definitely want to have a family. So we decided to do that. You know, the doctor and nurses came back in and kind of did their thing. They did uh, give me an epidural. They did, um, I think it's called oxytocin or oxytocin or something like that, where it induces the contractions and everything. And I had a regular delivery, except at the end, you know, our little girl, mm-hmm. she was already dead. When you were in the moment giving delivery, was there any part of you that was thinking this baby is going to be alive? No, no, no. I'd already given up that hope at that point. Um, I I mean, I'm just a practical person that way, you know, if they didn't find a heartbeat and they tried, you know, at least a couple times, then I was pretty much resigned to that fact, you know, and and Tarek really helped me to be resigned in that, you know, Um, because we talked through it, you know, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay, you know our baby is dead, but we're going to be okay. You know? So, so we had, had talked through all of that while we were at the hospital, mind you, (laughs) this is, we're still at the hospital all this time. We, you know, at that point, they didn't think it made sense to release me to go home just to come back to deliver the baby. So we were there at the hospital. It was a very comfortable room. I mean, the nurses and the staff, they were so kind. Really? They were so kind. I mean, they were amazing. But yeah, at that point, Chelsea, no, I had pretty much resigned that, you know, and and rectified that. There was just no hope at that point for me. You know, it it was what it was at that point, as painful as it was, as absolutely insane to think that. I mean, I couldn't wrap my head around it fully in that moment, but I had resigned myself to at least that, Mm. you know, that our baby, she's passed away. So we went through the whole delivery and Tarek was right there by my side, you know, um, before we delivered, he, he was, oh my gosh, honestly, I I couldn't have done it without him. There's no way. Um, the nurses had asked while we were going through all of the decision points, like, do you want an epidural? You know, we're going to induce you all that stuff. They asked if I wanted to see the baby and if I wanted to hold the baby. Tarek and I had talked about it, and Tarek said he did want to see the baby, but he didn't want to hold the baby. Mm. And I refused. I said I did not want to see the baby, and I didn't want to hold the baby. And I think for me, it's just knowing myself. I'm a very visual person. Okay. And I didn't want my memory Mm. of having a baby that was mine in my mind to be dead. Mm. As weird as that sounds, because I, I wanted to 
hold the space that Tarek and I would have another baby who was alive and healthy and well. So that was my whole logic there. And the nurses actually asked me several times to see if I would change my mind. I didn't. I didn't. And maybe it would have produced more fear down the line if you had a visual like that. I think it would have. I think it would have. I'm a very visual person and I I know myself in that way and I hold pictures. I may not remember names. Yeah. I may not remember places, you know, but I remember pictures. Yes. No. Yeah. I remember pictures and I didn't want to hold that in my head. I wanted the space to be there for that still without having that visual coming and reminding me, you know, should we ever get pregnant again? That yeah, it didn't work out the last time. I didn't need a visual reminding me of that. I already had that going on in the back of my head, you know, just just verbally. I didn't need a picture reminding me, you know? So yeah, the nurses, they continued asking and I continued refusing. Um, And they asked in all kindness. It wasn't anything that was like, well, you have to. It wasn't anything pushy. It wasn't anything like that, but they just wanted to make sure that I was sure, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Has your husband ever brought up what he saw and what, what it did to him? Has he ever regretted yeah. it? Yeah. No, no, no. He never regretted it at all. Um, so because he was there at the delivery, he saw and we did name her. Her name was Nia. And he did see Nia, you know, when she came out and she was delivered and everything. And um, he doesn't regret that. He doesn't regret that at all. We did talk about it and he said it was, um, it was really painful for him to see her and knowing that she was already dead. Um, that was a really painful experience for him. And um, yeah, we talked about it at length pretty much, you know, once um, we went through everything, you know. You know how we fall in love with someone that we've experienced, traits mm-hmm. of theirs, their personality. You know, you ultimately, it's like you fall in love with their spirit, watching them yeah. come alive. Yeah. And what's so difficult is have that, and yet you love this child. I imagine, I mean, I don't know, but because you guys created it, you were working towards something. Such a different loss because you never actually knew the child. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's my assumption. Like, that's my assumption. I think that is dead on. I really do. That part was difficult to reconcile for a really long time. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's exactly as you say, you pretty much center your life around this life that's inside of you for, you know, eight months, nine months, 10 months for some women. It is your focus, you know, what you eat, what you drink or don't drink, or what you eat and you can't eat, you know, how much sleep you're getting. What are you putting into your body? What are you using on your body? There's just so many daily decisions that over the course of nine months center around this life that you have never met. Mm. And and to me, that's one of the things that I consider love to be. And that's one of the reasons I love my husband so much. It's thoughtfulness and mindfulness. And you have this singular thoughtfulness and this singular mindfulness caring about this baby that you have never met. Mm. Yeah. So I think you've hit it right on the head. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. And for me, it was hard to reconcile that for a really long time, simply because, you know, after we kind of went through everything and thinking about, okay, when is the right time for us to try to get pregnant again? I think the biggest piece for us was kind of like, we don't know why she died. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, not having an answer. I mean, that's what, like, how lost can you feel with that? Yeah. Yeah, it really put us into a tailspin. It really did. They never found out why this happened? No, no. There were no tangible reasons that they could see why she passed away. Oh my God. There was no reason. Yeah. Which is so big because, and I think you can still find reassurance in the quote, everything happens for a reason, Mm -hmm. but so much of heartbreak is... We try to gain closure or wrap it up with a bow or right. we find the reason. Yeah. Yeah. And this one, there was no apparent reason, at least for a good six months. There was no apparent reason. 
So yeah, <laughs> after going through that and then in, I mean, much later on in thinking about becoming pregnant again and going through pregnancy again, it was really hard for me to not be hyper vigilant. <laughs> Drinking orange juice all the time, making sure the baby was kicking. Right. You know, yeah, that was a little surreal for me too. Um, going through my second pregnancy, trying not to make myself crazy about Mm. Was it something that I did during the last pregnancy? Yes. That, right? Because there just was no reason, you know? So I had to work really hard in my second pregnancy not to overthink everything and and not to drive myself crazy with that, honestly. Mm. Yeah. How do you do that when you're on your own with it? You know, the choices that you made before were your own choices and the choices Mm. that you're going to make again about what you put into your body, what you put onto your body are ultimately yours. How does your husband help you during that time manage this new anxious side of you or overthinking it? That is a great question. (laughs) And it especially came out or especially was there to support me even more when we had our doctor visits, because that's when they listen to the heartbeat, you know? Oh. Um, and, and it's just something that it can't help but take you back to, you know, 2014 when there was no heartbeat. And he would never want you to be alone with that. Right. Yeah. So he would be right there after the nurse left and the doctor came in, he's holding my hand. Everything's going to be okay. You know, everything's going to be okay. And just looking at me with so much love, you know, and just his presence was just so soothing and so calming for me because those doctor visits could have been (laughs) a train wreck, literally. It could have been a train wreck. I could have been freaking out, blood pressure all over the place, you know, but he was always just so calming and reassuring, you know, and and I just knew, you know, looking at him like, okay, it's going to be okay. Okay. You know, and, and holding my breath when the doctors, you know, right. circling my belly with the ultrasound machine, you know, and hearing the heartbeat. Okay. Favorite sound, heartbeat. Oh my gosh, Chelsea, for real though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a really selfish question. Okay. I'm 32 years old. Were you mm. guys younger or older than 32 at this time? That is a great question. So when we lost Nia, I was... 37. So I was considered an, what do they call it? Advanced maternal or something. Yeah. High risk. Um, When I delivered my son, I was 39, Mm -hmm. just shy of 40. It was just before my 40th birthday. It was less about like, how much time do I have? But it was just more Mm -hmm. like, you guys seem like such adults during this time. Uh. (laughs) That's what, that's what I was like. Right. I understand that. And and my husband is older than I am. He's eight years older than I am. Mm. So um, he just turned 50 uh, last year. So I guess we're kind of grown, I guess, if you you want to put it that way. Honestly, (laughs) thank God you moved to North Carolina so you guys could have a house. I mean, I'm sure you guys maybe could have found that in New York somewhere. Just so much harder to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you Mm -hmm. wanted those steps and it seems like there was, not that it's traditional, but you you wanted certain things in place. And you got yeah. that move. That was what is important to us. Whenever I talk about relationships, you know, I mentor a lot of my younger cousins through relationships and stuff and friends, of course, you know, all of that. And my book, I talk about Tarek and our relationship and our long distance and all that stuff, you know. So I always tell people, this is what works for us. Mm. This is what we wanted. And don't let, you know, society or pressures or, you know, whatever dictate what is going to make you happy and what is going to work for you because it's different for everybody. We like to think that it's the same for everybody or, you know, society makes us feel like it should be the same for everybody, but it's different for everyone. It definitely is. But we knew that we wanted a house. You know, somebody listening to this will be like, oh my God, I can't even know. I don't need a house. I'm good in an apartment or I'm okay with my condo. It's just what works for you and what you want. What are your goals, right? And that's what I would say. Don't let anybody tell you or dictate to you how your relationship should be or what you should do. No, yeah. you put enough pressure on yourself as it is. It's just crazy, crazy making just makes me think about the importance of having a vision, you know, alone. but. 
especially yeah. as a partnership, we and everyone's vision is going to be different. If you look around, you know, people's lives look very different and different choices enabled that to happen. We don't all make mm-hmm. the same choices. And I think from the beginning, we should place emphasis on what do we want our life to look like and how can we be specific about that? Yes. Because that's going to, you know, weed out people. And I think that's important. If you Mm -hmm. want someone to ultimately stay, you have to make sure that you're imagining the same things. Absolutely. Yeah. And for you, it's like, I don't know if you knew this because I think about dating and I'm like, God, if only we could experience grief with them before we get married to see if we'd be on the same page or no one wants Mm. to talk about that. And most people don't experience it yet. But can you look back and say, yeah, I knew he would help me in this way. Wow. I would like to say yes. Actually, no, I am going to say yes. So when I think it was 2000, actually it was just after we moved in together. It was 2009. It was the winter, like January, 2009. Um, My mom's sister, um, one of my aunts passed away and it was quite sudden because she's the baby sister. Mm. Yeah. So it was quite sudden and she passed away in her sleep. And uh, we were living in Raleigh at that time and we flew back to Toronto because she lived in Toronto for the funeral. And I remember mm. being at the church. I hadn't seen my aunt in a number of years or spoken to her in a number of years. And I remember just being so overcome with grief in that moment, you know, because I felt like I didn't get a chance to say goodbye, like to properly say goodbye and tell her that I loved her. And, um, I remember being so overcome with grief and turning to him and just, you know, totally, and I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but. We all do. Okay. Totally losing my shit. That's barely a curse word, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Totally losing it. Totally losing it. Oh my gosh. On his shoulder and just like pouring, pouring tears, you know, and my heart was just wrenched and. And he just held me, Mm. you know, he didn't say anything. He just held me, you know, and it was just in line with everything else that I'd seen at that point. It was actually 2010 that I think about it because it was a year after we moved, but it was in line with everything else that I'd seen at that point. All of the love and the thoughtfulness, as I said, and, you know, just being concerned and present and available you know, it was just in line with all of those things that I'd seen from that moment. So if that was any indication mm. that, you know, he was going to be my rock throughout that, you know, extremely crazy gut-wrenching loss that we went through, it was a good indication. It was a good indication because he was right by my side. He did not walk away. He didn't, you know, if he went away to get something, he's like, oh, do you want something? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you want this? And even like attending to my other family members. I mean, it, yeah, it was just I was so- thinking about that word. He was attentive. Yes. Yes. He still is to this day, but it's just him. That's his character. That's who he is. You know, he is caring. You didn't change him to make him that way either. No. Yeah. That's no. For people no. To realize. He came like that. He did. He totally did come like that. He didn't grow up with sisters. So mm-hmm. I think there were parts of him that I kind of had when, when we moved in together, right? That were kind of like, okay, this is a girl thing, right. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> he really didn't grow up with sisters. So there were a few things that was kind of like, eh, okay, this is what girls do. Okay. Outside of that, he came that way. He is exactly the vision that I had of a life partner ah. down to the word, the letters, everything. Because I wrote that vision out very clearly at the beginning of 2006. And that's when we met. So he is very much the embodiment of that. He's the manifestation of that for sure. And I know that in my heart without a doubt. You know, I've never done these vision boards, but I was thinking that if there was any way to lean into the quarantine, it might be to start becoming a visionary and start doing some of these boards. Seriously. Oh, I mean, what, yeah. a, what a time. What a time to do that. You're, you are so right. Agreed. Mm. 
I don't want to throw you on a reality show. I would never want to degrade you like that. Most people don't like it, but I would love to watch you guys. I'm like, this is a poster relationship. Just poster uh, relationship. Oh my gosh. I hear you. I get that from a lot of people. Chelsea, like in, in our own lives. Oh my gosh, you're my favorite couple. You guys are so uh, awesome. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect, but we are perfect for us. It works for us. That's an important distinction as well. Isn't it nice to know that someone can say that to you and you can know that they're right, that you believe them, that it's not a facade that you've put on? Yes, I'm glad. (laughs) So I coined the word break upward and I'm curious what it means to you. Well, if I can tie it back to, you know, our heartbreak back in 2014, I did mention that it didn't become clearer why, you know, the why and the why and the why until a few months later. And even longer than that, I think even a few months later, I was still trying to figure it out. But after Nia was, you know, lost and uh, we decided to cremate her, Mm. I was off work for uh, six weeks, whatever the medical leave thing is, went back to work and It was one of the most challenging, not even adding the challenge of losing a child. Going back to work for me was really, really, really difficult. Um, I had a very public role in the organization Mm -hmm. um, because I was working in human resources at the time. So many people in the company knew me. They knew that I was pregnant. And as much as uh, we tried to communicate that we did have a loss Mm -hmm. and, you know, ask for your condolences and your sensitivity you know, as you see Isha going about the company or or whatever, I would still pretty much on a daily basis run into someone who didn't know. Yeah. And who would ask, you know, oh my gosh, you had your baby. How is your baby doing? What you have, a girl or a boy? Totally well-meaning. Yeah. So no fault of their own. No fault of their own. No fault of their own. And every day it would feel like I would get kicked in the stomach. Every day. And you have to explain it. Every single time. And Chelsea, this is how I I was describing it to someone else in 2015 sometime. It feels like you are breaking someone's heart on a daily basis, having to recount not only your own, but the person that you're telling. You know, like I had women that I told, well, you know, we, we had a loss. Unfortunately, she was a stillborn. Oh, you had a girl. I had women who completely lost it, lost their shit in front of me in a corporate environment, just bawling. Oh my God, I am so, I didn't know. Like, you know, I'm like, I know you didn't know it's okay. We would hug, you know, and they'd be like, you'll be okay. I'm like, I'm fine. You know, daily, daily. And now you're comforting others. Comforting others. Yes. Yes. Which was interesting in its own, you know, right. But yeah. And on top of that, it was a stressful job as it was already you know, getting back into the workforce and all of that, it was just coming to a head. The emotional strain that it was putting on me was not healthy and it wasn't enabling me to heal. So I started seeing a therapist throughout that time, which was fantastic. She was just an awesome, awesome therapist and a woman and just helped me so much. And, you know, going through our sessions, you know, I would talk to her about it and she'd be like, well, as with these things, you know, sometimes you have a decision to make. You can stay at your job, write it out and just write it out until kind of everybody knows and that'll be the end of it. And it's a job that it's very stressful for you anyway. You can do that or you can decide to leave. It is your decision. It is your choice. So we talked about it for some time. I talked with Tarek about it for some time and eventually I did decide to leave. And my last day was June 5th, 2015 in any full-time position, I might add. And that's when I decided to become a full-time entrepreneur. So at that time, I didn't understand that why, but you know, later on in the year, I saw that. I saw it very clearly. I'd been toying with the idea, you know, this job is really stressful. I'm not in love with HR like how I used to be. Maybe I should do my business full time. And I wasn't brave enough to take this step. I I just wasn't. You know, I let the fear hold me back of the stable paycheck. Mm -hmm. And how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And how am I going to make money? How is this going to support me? I let all of that hold me back. And 
2015 when I finally made that decision and, and left, it was very freeing. And as I said, it wasn't until a few months later that I really looked back and realized that, okay, this was one of the reasons why that happened. It took something that big and that gut-wrenching and completely turned my world upside down for me to finally make a decision and do something that was better for me. Yeah. I mean, going from HR, which, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you're a therapist, interventionist. I mean, you're oh my gosh, like, oh, everything. <laughs> you know, then you have a real tragedy. Yeah. It's like if I put things in perspective and then making the jump to providing people with relief, a remedy, a celebration yeah. in your own career. And changing their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had so many people describe the experiences that they travel with us on that they're life changing. It just changes their outlook on, you know, traveling more and experiencing new things and bringing more joy into their lives. And that together. is together. Yeah. 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 And that is something that makes me so happy and brings so much joy into my life. So it was definitely the right decision. It wasn't easy, but it was the right decision at that time. Congratulations. So I hope that answered your question. <laughs> I needed that answer because oh, uh, that was you know, an important part of your story. Tell my audience where they can find you. Oh, good question. So you can all find me at our website, which is trinidadcarnivalpackages.com, trinidadcarnivalpackages.com, or follow me on Instagram at events by Ashe. And uh, those are probably the two best ways to get in touch. Thank you so much for spending your morning with me and for going there and yeah, just letting me see and feel your life really. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And oh gosh, all the tears and the (laughs) coughing and everything. (laughs) Thank you, Chelsea. If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at BreakUpward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D, And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching sessions, you can visit my website, breakupward.com slash shop, where you can check out directly from my site. It's a super, 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 super simple process. Of course, I will answer any of your questions before you book. And again, you can email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. There's many different coaching options. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone.